Welcome to the City Confessions. I'm Marianne Yip, a native New Yorker, and I'm here to discuss all the thoughts that go to the minds of people living in New York City. Since I'm a native who was born and raised in a city that never sleeps, I come across people who are constantly in a rush. I would like to take a moment to sit down and talk about what's on their minds and what keeps them up at night. So sit back and let's dive into these confessions of people I know and people I just met. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the City Confessions. I am so excited for today's episode. We have the wonderful Val Monroe. She's the former beauty director at the Oprah Magazine. And now she founded her own blog called How to Not Fuck Up Your Face, where she focuses on how to approach an anti-aging in the most positive light for women. So hi, Val. How are you? And welcome. Hey, Marianne. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Happy summer to you. Yes, it is gorgeous in the city, but I know you are currently in Maine right now. Very happily in Maine, looking out the window. The weather's not so great at the moment, but but it's great to be up here with all the fresh air and the greenery, I have to say. Yes, Um, I feel like a good getaway is always, always a good idea. It is, totally. Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell us who you are, what you do, and what your relationship is with New York City. Okay. Uh, So uh, who I am, uh, I, for nearly 16 years, uh, most relevant to this this podcast, I was the beauty director at Oh! The Oprah Magazine, where I generated and produced all of the beauty editorial. And um, I also wrote for other sections of the magazine uh, that were not beauty-related. Um, but during the time that I was the beauty director, I uh, had this terrific platform uh, that was made available to me by Oprah and the editor-in-chief of the magazine, Amy Gross, at the time when I was hired, uh, to take a completely different approach to beauty and the beauty industry because I had never been part of it before. At the other magazines where I worked for like 45 years before, uh, I had been a features editor and, um, and I didn't know anything about the beauty industry. And I, I, I was hired specifically because Oprah didn't want her magazine to treat beauty um, the way women's magazines had historically treated beauty. That is by making women feel terrible about themselves month, so that they would come back month after month to learn how to be fixed. Um, and she quite rightly thought of that as... Um, a kind of a nasty thing to do to women. And she actually didn't want beauty in the magazine when she first conceived of the magazine and then uh, was educated to understand that because beauty advertisers basically supported the magazine, uh, that it was necessary to have beauty editorial. Um, so I was hired uh, by Amy Gross, the then editor, uh, because I didn't know anything about the beauty industry and she and Oprah wanted to have someone in that seat who could learn about beauty as um, as our readers were learning about it in this new way. So I had a, a um, very original, unique platform uh, from which to um, treat our beauty approach, take our beauty approach. Um, before that, I was a 
features editor, as I said, at various other women's magazines uh, and at Entertainment Weekly um, for about 45 years. Um, so I'm kind of like part of the magazine old guard, I have to say. Um, and, um, uh, and you know what, I've just lost track of the other thing you wanted me no to talk worries. about. No <laughs> worries. I wanted to touch it back to um, New York City. Oh, yeah. I'm a native, so I wanted to know what your relationship is with New York. Yeah. So I was born in New York City. I was born in Manhattan at Doctors Hospital up on um, north of Carl Schurz Park, which the hospital no longer exists. And then uh, soon after I was born, my parents moved out to New Jersey. So I was raised in Rutherford, New Jersey, which is a small town about 20 minutes outside the city where William Carlos Williams lived. And uh, I went away to college in Pennsylvania. And when I came back in 1973, I just, I came right to New York and stayed. Um, I, my whole life, ever since I was a little girl, I knew that I was going to live in New York because uh, my my dad worked in the city in advertising the whole time I was growing up. And to come into the city was a huge treat. It was like a 20-minute bus ride, but it could have been, you know, on the other side of the world. It was so exciting and different from the small town where I was raised. So as soon as college, as soon as I finished college, I, I think I took a month or two off and then I wound up in um, in Manhattan and I needed a job and I wanted to be a writer, um, but I didn't know how to go about that. So I, I was also um, very intrigued with feminism. And it was, so this was 1973. So it was just at the beginning of feminism's second wave. And I went to the Ms. Magazine offices. Ms. Magazine had just been started by Gloria Steinem uh, in partnership with New York Magazine. And I went to the Ms. office and I saw there was, they worked in a bullpen. They were all running around barefoot with their, their kids, you know, toddling around behind them. And yet they were putting out this fabulous progressive magazine. And I just decided that was where I wanted to work. So I went back every day for about a week. As I remember it, it was about a week. And I sat in the reception area. And finally, one of the editors came out and said, look, I've seen you sitting here every day. What, what's, your, what's up with you? you know? And I said, I want to work here more than anything in the world. And I don't, I'm not going to leave until I, get a, until I have a job here. And she said, well, I have a ton of Xeroxing that needs to be done. If you're willing to do that for free, of course. I said, absolutely, yes. And, um, and I started Xeroxing. And I, of course, I read everything I Xeroxed. And after a little while, I became friends with um, the woman who was then the editor of the letters section of the magazine. And, um, and I started working with her. She was promoted, and I was hired to do the letters to the editor, which was, I think, I still think, even though I loved my job at Oprah, which was one of the best jobs I've ever had in I have to say it's the best job I've ever had in magazine journalism, but, but a close second was the letters to the editor job at Ms. Magazine because um, it was, you're too young to remember this probably, but it was just when women were waking up across the country to this another, a whole other um, uh, wave of uh, consciousness, of, of a new consciousness. And the letters to the editor were just fabulous, you know, about um, women becoming 
more aware of what their situation was, um, either in the home or in the workplace. And um, so it was a very, very exciting place to be. Um, no, that sounds like a really exciting job. I mean, I, you know, growing up, even like in high school, as in a teenager, I loved reading magazines. And there's something about getting like a subscription and getting it every month and just like being in my bedroom and reading it and like physically, you know, touching it and turning the pages. And I think it's a little sad that, you know, that is somewhat gone in a way like how do you feel about that since you were oh, in the, I feel in sad the world. yeah I'm right there with you I think it's really sad and you know I uh well, with all of the people who I who I worked with for you know for 40 years when the when the business was the magazine business was thriving um we are all so grateful that we were able to be a part of it before it disappeared. I mean, you know, I, I won't, I won't mention the magazine. It's not the magazine I used to work for, but um, there's a very popular magazine that still exists. And, um, and I thought, you know, how can they possibly still be around, you know, because all these magazines have basically have had to fold. And so I, I picked up a current issue and I looked at it and it was a catalog. It wasn't really a magazine. It was just a catalog. And that made me really sad, you know, because mm-hmm. for, for people, young, you know, people who are, don't know what magazines used to be, <laughs> there are so few examples left of what a thriving, robust, interesting, progressive industry it was at one point, you know, it was just not mm-hmm. much. I mean, there's still the Atlantic and there's still the New Yorker mm-hmm. um, and there's, they are what they, what they always have been, but uh, women's magazines are just, um, you know, they're not what they used to be. I guess that inspired you to create your blog, right? So tell me more about that and tell me about the name because I absolutely love it. <laughs> I didn't get the last part of what you just said. Oh, I uh, said you... tell me about how the name came to be because oh. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, you know, I thought actually it, it's called how not to fuck up your face. And I don't you I, I use an asterisk in the word fuck so that, you know, I, it can so that I can actually use the title uh, in places where they might not want to use see the whole word um, spelled out. And I have to say, I uh, just a couple of people out of the um, the large number of people who are actually reading, subscribing or have signed up. Uh, there's only two people out of all of them who've said, uh, yeah, I wish you called it something else because why use a word, an ugly word, you know, to, to write something to, um, you know, to call your, your Mm -hmm. blog, something, uh, that people might want to read. Um, you know, I chose that title because I am angry that women are encouraged to do things to their faces that can sometimes make them look um, less attractive and uh, than they would be if they just left their faces alone. And so that's, I mean, the, the, the uh, swear word is in there because, because it's a terrible thing, I think, that, that we're enculturated to, to believe, you know, that we might look better if we um, had plastic surgery, for example, um, you know, I 
I want to make it clear that I don't, I'm not against whatever you choose to do to your face as long as you understand why you're doing it completely and you feel happy making that choice. Um, but I think it's a very slippery slope. Um, and, um, and I think we need to be super careful about um, uh, why we make the decisions we make about um, how we look. So the, the, the platform of my, of my newsletter, I'm calling it a newsletter, but I guess it's a blog, um, is that uh, from a very young age, uh, women mostly uh, are taught to objectify what we see when we look in the mirror. So what does that mean? It means that when you see your face, you're not seeing your face the way you see another person's face, like your mother's face or your best friend's face. You see your face as an object um, that is to be adorned or manipulated to please some third party. Um, and if you can learn how or unlearn how to um, see, not uh, to objectify, that is, if you can learn to look at your face without objectification, so if you can learn to see your face in the same way you see the face of the people, faces of the people you love, um, that inner critic, who we're all very familiar with, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, um, will disappear, ultimately will go away. And then you'll be able to see your face with the same kind of loving awareness that you see pe the faces of people you love. And when that happens, then um, you're much less likely to, um, to feel a need to manipulate or objectify yourself, you know, to please others, which bottom line will make you very much happier about your appearance. Mm -hmm. No, that's such a good perspective. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's all about perspective. Prior to us recording, um, you already knew that I had no idea where this conversation was going to go, but I guess I'm going to just take it there. I just wanted to tell you a quick story, um, you and everybody listening. So I've been dabble in, dabbling into TikTok for fun, and I had recorded a video, and it kind of went viral about just like dating in New York City. And I mentioned my age. I'm 29, and I was just talking about how I feel like an old soul, and like I love being in bed by like 10 o'clock. So that was like the whole messaging of the video. But somebody had commented saying like, oh, you're 29. You look like 35. And then as a, I know. And then as a joke, as a joke, because I, I have a, I have really thick skin and I'm from New York. I'm very just like resilient. And I don't really care. But as a, I thought it was funny to create, to respond to that comment on TikTok. And I said, oh, you guys, you know, somebody said I look 35. I'm so curious to know how old do you think I look? Because that was the first time actually ever that I received a comment that I look older than I am. And I, mm. I didn't feel any way about it. It was just the first time I heard about it. So I was like, oh, let me let me just put it out there. And it was such a I guess a bad move because <laughs> I was basically asking people to comment on my appearance. Yeah. And I didn't think about that. You know, I thought it was for fun. Right. And that just opened a can of worms because I was getting, I mean, it was a little mixed, but some people were like, oh, you look 40 and you look, and I was like shocked, honestly, just because <laughs> 
I always get carded. And every time I tell people my age, they're always like, oh, my God, I thought you were, you know, 23, 25. And I'm not going to lie. Like, when I was getting all these comments, I started to feel a little insecure. And I was like, wait, am I doing something wrong? And I was, everything that you said, you know, I never thought about it. And I started to look at age in this negative light. And then when I sat with it, um, because I, you know, I've been on my own journey and I'm still on my journey of like self-love and all that. Um, I started to realize, okay, it doesn't really matter what they say first of all, these are people on the internet. I never had those insecurities. And then just because one comment like led me to, to that like rabbit hole. So it's just really interesting to talk about, to talk about aging in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you, I think if you ever want to know what hell feels like, just go on the internet and start talking about <laughs> how old do I look? You know, yeah, like it was this. such a stupid thing. But like I said, I didn't think about it at the time. And Not I was stupid. Just... <laughs> no, it was, I, I mean, maybe naive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, naive, you know, word. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I have to say, you know, like it's, um, it's such a a, um, a hot button for everyone, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and I find that really sad. Um, I mean, um, I have to say that you know the response that I got when I first started the newsletter, how not to fuck up your face. Uh, by the way, are you going to say uh, how people can get there from here? Oh, absolutely. So, okay, yep, and I'm great. Ready to so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's ValerieMonroe.substack.com. But, um, but, you know, even when I started, uh, when I kind of introduced the concept of this newsletter, no one else is writing about, um, you know, aging and beauty in a public way, at least, uh, the way I'm doing it. I mean, there are a lot of um, blogs about, you know, uh, glorious old broads and you know I just I, I really can't stand that tone um, and I think um, you know the more honest and straightforward we can be about what it feels like um, as we get older the both the good and the bad aspects of it um, you know the happier we're going to be with the transition from wherever you are you know from middle age into old age or wherever you're at on the on the spectrum of aging. Um, but you know, it's very, it's, it's a very difficult transition as we get older. I mean, for you, did you say you're 29? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were just born basically, you know, so <laughs> you've, you've a ways to go, but I, but I do think that when women hit, you know, their mid thirties and then, you know, they start to, which I consider very young still, but they start to think about, you know, some of them are maybe closer to perimenopause or, um, you know, they're maybe just getting glimmers of what life might be like as they get a bit older. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's not an easy transition, but we all go through it. And, you know, there's great, there's great stuff about getting older. There really is. I mean, there's, you know, the, the, the stuff that falls away that isn't important anymore. It's very, can be very freeing. And, and there's a lot of shit. There's a lot of stuff that's really hard. And, you know, whoever said old aging for sissies was completely right. I mean, I used to think that was the, the 
stupidest cliche, and now that I'm old, I don't think it's stupid at all. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that it's important that we be honest about what it feels like, particularly as women, because um, it's, I think, harder for us in some ways as we age because of the expectations of, you know, what older women are supposed to be like, um, and the real, as opposed to the reality of what it actually is like and feels like um, in so many ways. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's the, the whole issue, and this is something that I touch on in very frequently in the, in the newsletter, that as, as uh, mammals, you know, as humans, we're hardwired to run away screaming from the idea of getting older because it means we're approaching death. Right. So, you know, when you see an old person's face, I mean, if the person looks very old, uh, unless it's your Nana, you know, and then you have this immediate feeling of, you know, of love, you're reminded that we're not going to be around forever. And um, and, you know, on some level, I think we're hardwired to uh, to try to avoid that at all costs. So, you know, part of the reason I think. I mean, the unconscious reason that people are drawn to, um, you know, surgery and plastic surgery and to, you know, trying to look perpetually young is because they don't want to face that. It, it mm -hmm. is in some way, um, a, you know, a venue for them to feel like they're going to escape what we're, none of us are going to escape. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when it comes to makeup, for example, and I, I just wrote about this recently, you know, um, when you think about blush and mascara and foundation, all of those, all of the, the things that are sold to us, which I actually love makeup. I don't wear much of it, but I love, I love, I used to love wearing a lot of it. And, um, and I, and I think it's, it can be an art, you know, and it's applied well. Um, uh, but all of those things that are offered to us are all ways for us to imitate the um, the cues of youth and fertility and what we come to think of as beauty, you know. So the blush blush helps us make up makes make our cheeks rosy, which is an indicator of good health, right? And uh, eyeliner and mascara helps to um, uh, make more vivid. The contrast between the whites of the eye and uh, and the iris, you know, um, the, um, the 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 eye, the pupils, you know, the little dark spot in the center of your iris, mm -hmm. um, the pupils of your eyes when you're aroused, physically, sexually aroused, they dilate a bit, and so when we when we um, you know put eyeliner, like black or dark eyeliner on our eyes, it's a way to, um, to kind of imitate the, that um, arousal, you know? And so it makes us look more attractive. It's all, I, I think it's unconscious. I don't think people are thinking about that when they put on mascara or eyeliner, or they use eyeshadow or blush or even lipstick. But, um, but these are all, what we're doing is imitating these cues that um, uh, make us look sexually attractive, which, by the way, is why they can look kind of weird on an older woman who's mm -hmm. using too much. 
Mm-hmm. And if you've seen an older, say, a woman in her 70s or 80s whose cheeks are, are overblushed, it looks weird because you think, well, she's just put on too much blush, but it actually, on some level, it makes us uh, mistrustful of her because she's imitating, trying to imitate something that she can't get away with anymore. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's actually very interesting. I never thought about it like that. Mm. When I hear you speak, I know you're super passionate about, you know, beauty and aging in general, but I wanted to know, have you always had this positive outlook on aging? And what was that moment when you, I guess, accepted, right, the reality of life and had that light bulb moment where you were like, wow, I'm actually looking at the concept of getting older in a in a positive light and I would love to share that so mm-hmm. I just want to know where did that stem from that passion and that perspective mm-hmm. um well first of all I have to say you know I, I I don't think I'm I'm even there yet I mean it's not like I'm not ambivalent about getting older for all the reasons I just mentioned you know about you know feeling like I'm not going to live forever so that's not fun but, um, but being able to accept, um, my, my f- appearance as I get older, it's a, I don't think I had a light bulb moment because I don't think it's, it's not something that, um, just like with, you know, your say inner, inner, what you were calling your journey, right? Your, mm-hmm. your emotional or spiritual growth. It's not something that goes that suddenly, you know, gets turned on. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it's, it, it glows and then it becomes dimmer and then it glows mm-hmm. brightly and then it be dims again, you know? So, so I'm not really sure that there, that I had a light bulb moment. I think, um, you know, when I started to write about, I wrote about turning 60 in a, actually I reprinted that piece recently, um, because I was thinking about, you know, well, am I going to start doing stuff to my face now that I'm turning 60? Uh, I decided probably not. I still don't know for sure now that I'm 70. But um, but I think as with any transition, uh, it caused me, as transitions cause us, because they can be very difficult to start thinking about, you know, what we've been doing in the past, what we're doing today, how we want to do things in the future. And, um, and I think with, with thinking about our appearance, I, I think we, we have to kind of take it day by day. I mean, I still feel now, and, it, and I think this feeling will probably intensify the older I get. When I get up in the morning, you know, and I go to the bathroom and look in the bathroom mirror and I half expect one of my eyeballs to fall out into the sink. You know, I mean, every day there's something different. You know, there's a little bit more gray hair. You know, women's eyebrows—it's—it's a eyebrows become a big focus as we get older because um, as you your estrogen levels drop, uh, things you'll find start changing in your body. So you you your hair sometimes thins. You know, you get. Uh, hair on your upper lip, you know, that you didn't really notice before. Um, and oddly your eyebrows like change shape. 
So you lose some eyebrow hair, but it's not consistent. I mean, it's, it's kind of a problem for women who are concerned about their appearance. So, um, so I have to say, I think it's a day by day process. And the a key word is process. It's not like um, one day you're going to decide, oh, I'm okay with my appearance and, and this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. It's like you're dealing with a transition every day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, you know, one of the, one of the, um, the focuses and one of the purposes of the newsletter I'm writing is that I know it feels better if you have a companion with you, right? When you're going through a transition or any kind of like difficult thing in your life. And so I mean for the newsletter to be a kind of companion um, for those of us who are, you know, going through, going through the transition of the transition of aging, which actually means all of us. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm going to definitely subscribe to your newsletter. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's, it's free, by the way. Yeah. You, you, you can sign up. You don't have to subscribe. <laughs> so whenever I you know record an episode, I always ask my guests uh, what keeps you up at night. And it's a very simple question. <laughs> but I think sometimes you know it allows us to take a moment to self-reflect and be honest with ourselves, right? And mm-hmm. I know we spoke a lot about aging and beauty, so I'm not sure if that is going to relate. Uh, to those topics Mm. but as of this current moment when we're recording what is stressing you out is there anything that you would like to share that you just want to get off your chest Mm. um i well the question what keeps you up at night is a great question to ask um any woman who's um been through menopause (laughs) because uh it's a lack of estrogen probably that keeps us up at night so um and i just had this conversation with a uh friend um the other day because our thing now is like we get into bed and we read um and we get read to the point where you know the book is falling out of our hands we're so tired Mm -hmm. and so we put the book down turn out the light and then we're wide awake that's how i feel though really yeah go check your hormone levels (laughs) (laughs) there are times when i will you know knock out no problem but i think also it's just like my racing mind yeah i always like have thoughts so yeah Yeah, i could i actually can sense that about you i don't have that kind of (laughs) mind actually my mind is never racing in fact um uh uh, my mind is kind of my mind is slow slowing down um but um but you know, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about since the since I've been vaccinated and people uh, more and more people are being vaccinated, so it feels as if we're through a lot of the the hardest part of the pandemic. Is this kind of existential dread, and I I don't know what it is. I mean, it's not like I don't feel stressed about anything in particular, but mm-hmm. um, but I think the um, you know, the shock of suddenly being um, the victim of our external of external circumstances that happened mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, which mm-hmm. most of us had never experienced before, you know, um, in the same way. I mean, I'd never been through a pandemic. And, um, you know, I don't remember ever being in a situation where 
I had absolutely no control over what was going on in my life. Um, and I think the shock of that is still reverberating for a lot of us. And I actually, um, uh, I spend like three or four months a year in Japan because my son um, has settled there and I now have a, a beautiful, brilliant Japanese daughter-in-law and a, and a three-year-old granddaughter. And I can't go over there now. Mm -hmm. I haven't been there for two, almost two years because the borders of Japan are closed. Um, and that's very scary, you know, because mm -hmm. it's not in my control. It's not something that I can do anything about. And um, I don't know when that's going to resolve. It doesn't look good right now. But I, as I like live my life trying to, um, you know, um, I try to live it by the precept of, you know, just accept, acceptance is everything, right? Mm -hmm. the, I'll, I'll only be, I'll only suffer if I, if I rail against what is, right? So the main thing is to just to, is to accept whatever needs to be accepted, which is what I do. Uh, and at the same time, I think on some level, it also is, is still very scary you know, that, um, mm -hmm. that there's something beyond my control. So I think, you know, what keeps me up is a kind of existential dread. But mm -hmm. if you were to ask me to define what that is, I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel good, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, right. I agree. I mean, I'm definitely the type to want to control everything. So I, I'm with you on that and just feeling that you can't control what's happening in the world. But... It's all about how you react to it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Did you did you go to high school in New York? Mm-hmm. I did. Uh huh. Did you go to school downtown? I went to a school called Brooklyn Latin. Um, it was a very interesting story. Okay, I was the first graduating class, so there wow. was yeah. So I took a chance on the on the high school because they pitched. You know, they kind of had an orientation and I went and I was like, okay, this sounds great. But I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And? But it was amazing. We learned oh. Latin. We went to Rome and Italy mm -hmm. for our like senior trips. And, uh -huh. you know, people in New York go to Six Flags for their senior trips. So <laughs> really? It was awesome. Yeah. It was very cultural. So that's yeah. something that I definitely love about it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I, I asked because, you know, I raised my son. We raised our son here in the city. And, Where did uh, he go? He went to Stuy. Okay, yeah. Um, well, basically, <laughs> I didn't get into any of the specialized, and Brooklyn Latin was like the up and coming one. Yeah, I always, I always joke around when I talk about that. And I'm like, yeah, that was where like all the rejects, like as a joke, <laughs> but like you know, the people who couldn't make it, that's where we went. So, yeah. yeah, but <laughs> but you know, like the thing is, like he now he lives you know on the other side of the world, and mm -hmm. um, he you know, his experience growing up in New York as yours was, it's like, you know, he was exposed to all different kinds of cultures. And, mm -hmm. you know, when he goes to a place where there's only one culture, it looks weird to him, Yeah, you know? So I just think that's it's such a great experience. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of New York. I'm so, yeah. so, so grateful for the city. Yeah. With that being said, actually, so this podcast is called the city confessions. And I don't know if you saw this coming, but 
I would love for you, Val, if you can share a confession with all of us. And let me preface this by saying that there is no good or bad, right or wrong. And it's just a good way for me to kind of weave all my episodes together. And I guess what I got away from doing this for like my third year now is that, you know, despite all of our different backgrounds and journeys, what really unites us is kind of like what falls under confessions, whether that is insecurities or just you know, vulnerabilities, anything that relates to that. But again, it doesn't have to be deep or dark. It can be very light and funny. So it's however mm-hmm. you receive this question. So Val, if you can share a confession, what would that be? Um, so this has to do with um, how, how easy it is and the, the, the enormous benefits of, of, anonymity in a city as large as New York. So when I was a bit younger than you, so it was a while ago, um, I was out to dinner with my parents and my then boyfriend in Soho. And um, and actually Soho then was like, you know, it was like boarded up warehouses with a mm-hmm. few restaurants, right? Um, but we were out to dinner. It was a really hot August night. And... Um, and I wasn't wearing any underwear because I tend to go full commando when it's hot out, right? I was wearing a really cute Diane von Furstenberg wrap dress. And I was walking up West Broadway uh, with my arms linked with my dad on one side and my boyfriend on the other. And my mom was on the other side of my dad. And all of a sudden, I heard this screaming down the street behind us and I heard you know for I don't know maybe a block or so and then I became curious so I turned around as I turned around I noticed this flash of white which was my ass because the uh, I was very tan except for my butt and Mm -hmm. my dress had flown open and got caught on the belt on its own belt And so I've been walking for like, you know, two blocks with my butt fully exposed. And uh, the people down the street were just, you know, like screaming with delight, probably. (laughs) And when I think about that, you know, like if that had happened in the town where I grew up, a very small town, I would have been so mortified for the rest Mm -hmm. of my life, right? Mm -hmm. Because it happened in New York, because I don't know those people, whoever they were. I'll never see them again, most likely. Or if I do, I won't know that I have, you know, it was just like a funny story. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the beauty of the city. You know, like you can be as anonymous as you want to be. And, uh, and you can be as, as, uh, notorious, you know, <laughs> or as well known as you want to be, mm-hmm. but, um, but you know, it's your choice. That is such a good point because there are definitely moments when I'll get embarrassed or I want to do something. And then that's, the second thought. I'm like, well, these people don't know me. I'm never going to yeah. see them again. Like it doesn't right. matter. Right. So it's such a good, I, yeah, it's a good way to like gain that confidence, like whatever situation you're in. That's yeah. um, so true though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of like, you know, when, if I have to give a talk, I'm going to do that whole thing where I picture everybody sitting yeah. in, their audience <laughs> in their underwear. I mean, it's just like, you know, who cares? Whatever. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. it really doesn't matter. So, yeah. I mean, the, Anonymity is can be a really great thing 
Yeah, I've yeah. never heard, like, I've never thought about that, and nobody has ever brought that up. So now I'm thinking about it. That is such a perk of being in a big city like New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I love the city for tons of other reasons. I mean, um, you know, from the culture to the to the parks, right, to the people. God, I love the people. Mm, me too. You know, right? Yeah, for sure. I have two more questions before we wrap it up, but sure. I do want to take a moment right now to send you gratitude. I always think that when people schedule time out of their days to come speak with me and my listeners, it is such a gift. Oh, it's because, my pleasure. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you. And I, and I think this conversation was so enlightening and I hope a lot of people got something positive out of it. So with that being said, I would love for you to plug away. I'm going to have all your information in the show notes, but what are you currently up to? And if you are working on anything, you know, secret, that's a secret project coming out that you can share or give a teaser, do so and Mm. just let the world Mm. know what can, what can we expect from you Val in the next six months and the next year? What do you have in your horizon? So, um, so I'm planning on continuing to write how not to fuck up your face at least once a week. So, um, and the, the, the more, um, signups I have for it, the, the happier I am because it means that my message is getting out. I mean, I, as I said, you know, it's free. You can subscribe, uh, for $5 a month or 50 bucks a year if you want to, but you don't have to. Um, and I would rather have you, if you'd rather, I mean, if you don't, if you, for whatever reason, you don't want to pay, that's fine with me. Just read it. And if you like it, share it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you can get to it at, ValerieMonroe.substack.com, and um, the archives, everything, everything is free. So you can look back from the very first post, uh, and um, and you can sign up so that you get them every Tuesday morning. Um, so that's the most important thing to me. And you know, I think until the uh, the FBI or the CIA um, has a beauty department, I probably won't have anything secret I'm doing <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't really like secrets, especially. Yeah. So the, the main project that I'm working on is this is this um, newsletter. So mm-hmm. uh, the more the bigger the audience, uh, the happier I'll be because it means that people are beginning to think in a different way about mm-hmm. how they feel about their appearance as they age. Mm-hmm. No, I love that, and I hope a lot of people check it out and. The link is going to be in the show notes. So Great. definitely. Thank you. On that. Okay. My last question before we depart is what is the one thing you love most about yourself? Hmm. Gosh, there's so many things I love about myself. <laughs> Feel free to listen. <laughs> really? I'd rather have people say your response because you would be shocked. So many oh, people, no. get, people can't think of anything. Yeah, they get so uncomfortable. And I'm mm. like, no, you should be able to like compliment yourself the way you compliment, you know, others. Right. I mean, and, and actually, I don't even think of it, you know, I, I don't think of it as a compliment. Like when I think about, you know, why I love my, my son, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think, well, to answer your question, I think that um, what I like 
most about myself is that uh, that I, I continue to try uh, to be a better person, even though I fail all the time at it, you know? So mm-hmm. I want to be, um, I want to have a, a big, generous heart. And, um, and, you know, that's maybe the, the thing I'm most uh, concerned about or my, my most important goal. And I find, you know, every day I a fail at it. And yet something, and I, and I don't even attribute this to me, actually. I, I attribute it to some higher kind of power, you know, some higher spirit um, that usually just keeps me going, you know. So I didn't do so well today, so try again tomorrow. Actually, you know what I think that is? It's that um, the, the rewards of, of generosity are so enormous, you know. The rewards of, of feeling grateful are so enormous that they're kind of a built-in motivator. Don't you agree? Mm-hmm. That when you're, when you're feeling grateful and when you're being generous, it makes you feel so good that you want to do it again, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I always, so, yeah, I agree. When you, like, are able to, like, even help others or, like, make them happy or somehow brighten their day, it all comes back to you. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah trying, so, you know, trying, trying to, to continue to keep doing that, even when I don't do it very well, I think that's one of the things I like most about myself. Amazing. And that is such a great way to end this episode. So thank you so much, Val, for sharing your beautiful story. And for those listening, thank you. Definitely check out her blog, How Not to Fuck Up Your Face. I am linking everything in the show notes, as I mentioned previously. And with that being said, I hope you all have a beautiful day and stay tuned for next week's episode. All right. Bye.